welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug. I'm a pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church based out of Shelton, Washington, a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Here at Faith, we're learning how to become a more welcoming community. We're energized by God's amazing love. We want to make Christ known in the world. We want to grow closer to and more like Jesus. We want to joyfully serve our neighbors, each other, and the whole world. You can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Today's podcast is entitled, In These Last Days. Today is the first Sunday in Advent, so Happy Church New Year, everybody. Thanks for listening today, and I'm still getting over my cold, so if some of my M's sound like B's, I apologize. We are living in the last days. How do you feel about that statement? Is that a statement that makes you afraid? Is that a statement that rings true for you? Well, in the Christian tradition, to say that we are living in the last days is ultimately intended to be a word of hope, a word of promise. For Christians, the promise of Christ's return to judge the living and the dead, this is a good thing. When we read the Old Testament and we read prophets like Isaiah, we read it understanding that they wanted to give hope and direction and perspective and encouragement to people who at the time were scared and overwhelmed and uncertain about the future. When Jesus teaches about his return, when he teaches about the end times, Jesus wants to give hope and direction and perspective and encouragement to his followers who were scared, overwhelmed, and uncertain about the future. So my prayer today is that today's message, based on those prophecies of Isaiah and the promises of Jesus, that today's message may offer you hope and direction and perspective and encouragement as you and I face a future that so often feels scary overwhelming, and uncertain. So let's start with Isaiah chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. The prophet writes, The word of Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Amos, I think it's Amos. The word that Isaiah son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. That sounds better. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of God. Sisters and brothers, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Isaiah is a prophet. Now, a biblical prophet is really more of a, of a pastor or a teacher or a reformer. We don't really see them as somebody who's traveling in time or peering into the future or pulling back the veil. Think about a, a teacher, a reformer. Someone who's taking a look at what's going on in the world and and taking a look at the promises of God and trying to bring those those together uh, in a message 
of encouragement for the people. He's living in Jerusalem about 700 years before Jesus. Jerusalem is in Judah, which is the southern kingdom. And there in the south, they're watching in real time as the Assyrian Empire is pulling a Putin in the northern kingdom, the part called Israel or Samaria. I mean, imagine living in Poland or Lithuania right now, watching the Russian invasion of Ukraine. See, for Judah, there's little doubt that once the Assyrians are done with the northern kingdom, their full attention will turn south to Jerusalem. And their capital city, Jerusalem, the home of what many of them believed was the very house of God, the temple to Yahweh built by King Solomon 250 years earlier, was at risk. And Isaiah shares this vision. He has a vision of the holy city on a hill. He has a vision of a day when, when his hometown, Jerusalem, is secure and established and at peace, that there are no foreign invaders on the horizon. Nations are streaming toward Jerusalem in this vision, not to conquer them, but to learn the ways of Yahweh, to receive God's good judgment, to worship the God of Israel. He sees Jerusalem as an international hub of diversity, of multicultural learning and peacemaking, warring nations holding peace talks in the shadow of the temple, walking away hand in hand with signed peace treaties. All over the world, weapons factories are decommissioned, retooled to make things like farm implements, swords into plowshares. One of these days, Isaiah says, the day shall soon come. Isaiah's vision is certain because it is consistent with the vision that God has had since day one. It's the dream that God first shared with Adam and Eve in the garden. Humanity caring for creation and each other, enjoying its abundance, you know, going forth and multiplying. It's the dream that God shares with Sarah and Abraham, whose descendants would be a light to the nations. It's the dream in the wilderness of manna and mercy. Everything is a gift, no one with too much, no one with too little. It's the promise of a land flowing with milk and honey where people would walk in the ways of God. It is the the shalom of God, world peace, the way it's supposed to be. The day is surely coming, saith the Lord. So 700 years later, in the last days of the life of, of Jesus and in his ministry, the disciples are looking at the temple in Jerusalem and they, and they wonder about God's, God's vision that he was told through, through Isaiah. Has the day finally come, they wonder? Was Jesus finally there to bring about the reign of God, to bring about justice, peace on earth, goodwill to all? Give us some inside information, Jesus. How will we know? Here's Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, he tells them, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Now let me interrupt briefly. Some These last couple of verses about two people in a field, one will be taken, the other left behind. This is sometimes called the rapture. Uh, 
there's an idea that Jesus is describing a day when Christians are going to get beamed up into heaven while everyone else gets left behind. And there's a whole very popular book series about that. Well, if that's the case, then you have to do a whole bunch of biblical gymnastics to make that scenario fit with everything else that the Bible says about the end times. Most folks think that the main point that Jesus is trying to make here is simply that you can't prevent or fully prepare for the future. All we can do is keep watch, be ready, be prepared really to expect the unexpected. So he goes on, he says, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, he says, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master will put in charge of the servants and his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. What Jesus is saying here is that the end times are above your pay grade. (laughs) You want to be ready for my return? Then make sure that when I return, I find you doing the things that I've commanded you to do all along. The promises of God from day one are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the one who judges the living and the dead. His death on the cross destroys death and ushers in the kingdom of God, the world in which God dwells, not just in a little temple in Jerusalem, but in the hearts and lives of billions of people who have heard and received and share his forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. Jesus is manna and mercy. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, says the writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. But in these last days, he says, he has spoken to us by his Son, who is the radiance of God's glory and the spitten image of the Father. The Bible says that these are the last days, and that we have been living in the last days for 2,000 years. And we are the body of Christ each of us living temples of the Holy Spirit, generation after generation, going to all nations, baptizing, teaching the word of Christ, being witnesses, messengers, peacemakers, bearers of the good news to the ends of the earth. So the fact that we are living in the last days is good news. To say that we're living in the last days is actually the most hopeful thing that we can say because it is the assurance that God has got a hold of it all. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. God's dream and vision for humanity and all creation hasn't changed since day one. It is a good creation where people take care of the planet and each other. It's manna and mercy where no one has too little and no one has too much. It is diversity, generosity, compassion, and mutual growth. It's sustainable, more sustainable agriculture and and commerce and less war and violence and swords. It's a world in which the powerful nations learn from the smaller ones. And it's not all up to us. Thank God it's not all up to us. This is God's preferred future, and so it is God who will accomplish God's purposes in God's way, in God's time. 
No matter how difficult life feels, no matter how hopeless your situation, take heart. The kingdom of God is so is near, so close you can touch it, taste it, smell it, and sense it. Take heart. These are the last days, which means God's got this. And if God is doing what only God can do, then we also ought to do what we can only do. Living in the last days is a call for us to obedience, to faithful service in God's household. We are called to be ready, to do what the master of the household has given us to do. Well, what has Jesus commanded us to do? How about these? Love one another as I have loved you, says Jesus. Go and make disciples, Jesus says, teaching them to, to obey all that I have commanded you. Or how about this one? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Or this one. When you feed the hungry, visit the prisoner, clothe the naked, or give the thirsty something to drink, you do it unto me. You see, when our lives align with and conform to that of Christ Jesus, we taste the kingdom of God and we reveal God's promise to the world. In Isaiah's vision, all the nations are streaming to the mountain of the house of God. Maybe the call to faithful service is that we stand ready to welcome them, right? As the nations come, regardless of nationality or gender or social status, that we, that we study and teach the ways that make for peace, that we receive and see Christ in every person we meet. I wonder if by God's grace, faith can continue to grow into being the kind of melting pot envisioned by Isaiah centuries ago. Living in these last days is an invitation to put our hope in God's faithfulness. It's a call to being faithful servants, practicing hospitality and peacemaking. And the last encouragement I would offer today is for us to practice a certain humility and perspective. Remember, Israel was never a powerful nation. Isaiah's vision was one in which the powerful would humble themselves and seek to learn the ways of God from those that were weaker. The vision is that of world powers, the likes of Assyria and Rome, maybe the likes of China and the United States of America. That these world powers that we would humble ourselves and learn from those on the underside of power. Jesus once said that children understand and fathom the kingdom of God more naturally than we do. You see, as much as Faith Lutheran Church has to offer others, especially those in need. At the same time, Faith Lutheran Church has much to learn from others, especially those in need. We don't just host brighter days because they need us. We need them. We need to have children and youth in our congregation, not just because they need to know Jesus, but because we need their perspective to teach us about Jesus. We don't just share our space with Cielo or Kids Cove Preschool because we want to help, but because we need their help. We need to learn the ways of God from them. We need them to show us the cost of our consumption, our warring ways, our tired political infighting. God reveals God's self in the wisdom and suffering of the least of these. To live in the last days is a call to humility. Lord, make us humble of heart. 
For 2,000 years, the church has been called to live in the now-not-yetness of the kingdom of God. Christ has come, we, we proclaim, and Christ will come again. We live in the last days and we wait for the last day when Christ will return to judge the living and the dead, when the old heaven and earth will disappear and a new Jerusalem, the city shining on a hill, will lead and guide the nations in the ways of peace on earth and goodwill to all. May today's message, based on those prophecies of Isaiah and the promises of Jesus, may this offer you hope and direction and perspective and encouragement as you and I face a future that feels so often scary, overwhelming, and uncertain. God, give us hope, humility, and the courage to do your will. Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, to learn more about faith, go to our website, www.faithshelton.org. While you're there, go ahead and like us or subscribe, donate, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, this podcast is available on most pl- podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. Chaz, Nadia, thank you for your production and tech support for this podcast. People of faith, thank you for your prayers and faithfulness in these last days. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.